One of the uh, benefits of living on a new build estate that hasn't yet been finished is that you may well get to live next to part of the building site and every now and then when you're trying to record a podcast you have to start an episode by apologising to all the listeners because it does seem sometimes that um, the builders and developers decide they get up one morning and decide, you know what? We'll dig up the road! I totally get it. Everyone's here to do their job and, you know, I'll... um, a lot of the time we do we do just just let them get on with it um without any fuss but uh yeah there's there's others that it becomes quite difficult but uh hey on with the show so this week on Dead Men Talk being a very special episode. This is actually, this is the finale of the, of the first season. So I wanted to make it special. So I've invited another guest along. And this one, I, 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 won't, I won't begin to, to rattle off all the things this guy's done. I'm going to let him tell you about it because he's done some amazing stuff. And if you've not already, you will get to know him as the voice of A Necessary End in the new audiobook, which is now available. So welcome to the show, Dave Jackson. Hey, <laughs> to meet you finally, man. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. It's, uh, it seems like it's taken a while. I mean, it was, it was only it was, uh, late last year, or almost a year ago, I think we, you we know, first well, started working on it. It was a long time. And <laughs> unfortunately, I'm a very slow uh, audiobook reader. And that did, and, you know, and, and then, just to have, once it was done, it's like, I felt like we were waiting oh, for months. And we months. were. When's this book going to come out? <laughs> it was like February. I hit the button on it at the end of February. And then I didn't realize that the QA um, section that, that, that ACX put it through was going to take so long. But, but I'm glad it did. And I'm getting some great feedback on the audio book. Me so, too. Yeah, me yeah. too. But yeah. um, so we'll, we'll get to talk about that a little bit more detail in a bit. Just for the benefit of the listeners, if there's any listeners that aren't familiar with yourself, just... Just sort of tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, what it is that you've done up to now. Okay. <clears throat> My name's Dave Jackson. <laughs> I'm from, I was born in Akron, Ohio. Uh, it's about half an hour south of Cleveland. And um, my family is from the UK. <clears throat> and they came here and settled in the deep south in uh, Georgia, Alabama, places like that. So you can imagine me as a little kid hearing all these accents, you know, the strangest, <clears throat> the most bizarre accents you could ever imagine. <clears throat> and I kind of put all those in my computer. And now it seems like I get a lot of work just because I can do all these weird voices and stuff. <laughs> and my sister said, Davey, how many voices are in your head? And I'm like, I'm That's not a sure I want to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh I was a musician for years. I uh, played like uh, hard rock, punk kind of music <clears throat> for a long time. And uh, it kind of fell into like in the mid eighties into the hair metal thing. Um, and it, I never was a real fan of hair metal. I, I know there's a lot, there's a resurgence and a lot of people really like all the bands and stuff. I was never really a huge fan. I like rat and I like, um, docking that's about okay, it that's cool. the air bands go because you know it seems like all the singers sound like 
<clears throat> little girl. <laughs> <laughs> I just I want I like a little more manly voice for I'm my manly. hard rock. So yeah. I'm yeah. more Alice Cooper, Gene Simmons kind of, you know. I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Although Ghost, I I'm a big fan of Ghost. There we I, go. Was, <laughs> I was screaming Ghost like in uh 2008 or wow. 2009. <clears throat> I saw a picture of him in a in a magazine from uh, Europe. And I was like, whoa, who's this? And I checked him out and I started asking everybody, ghost, ghost, ghost. And they're like, oh yeah, I never heard of him. Never heard of him. And now they're all wearing ghost t-shirts. And, yeah. and now it's not quite as much fun. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I, what, I, what I love about that band, just to sort of sidetrack and I'm uh, jumping, I'm a massive ghost fan as well, um, which I think we've, we've discussed along the way. So we mm -hmm. first saw them. I, I discovered them for myself back in, I think it was 2011. It was a download festival at Donington. And oh, nice. I, I'd seen them. I, I think I'd seen them mentioned in Metal Hammer magazine just before. And then I had to see them. And that was during their, their Papa Emeritus one stage. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I've seen them a couple of times since went to see them at the Albert hall in London last year. I think it was still, um, but they keep reinventing themselves. So even, yeah. even though they're in the spotlight, you still really don't know what he's going to do next. Yeah. Like he's that. really, a, a, he's a very smart, smart person yeah. <clears throat> and incredibly talented mm. um i i saw some of the bands he was in before that we're talking about um uh subvision was one of them i think what's his name sub is tobias forge isn't it? Sub tobias forge. yeah right sub yeah tobias yeah i don't know why that name always <laughs> i always think oh, that's a cool name and i always forget it you know? <laughs> i'm writing that one down but, I thought when they when they got the cardinal, I thought, oh man, what's this all about? But now I'm like, yeah, and you know, and he'll be gone soon. You know, that's just yeah. how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> but they just keep coming up with new stuff, and I'm like, okay, they're at a dead end now. Nope, they yep. come up with something. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> <You know? clears throat> Most bands can't even come up with one image, or yeah, you know, and and then the amount of songs they haven't. There's that's not an old band, and they've already got all kinds of you know, lots of really good. I always thought it was funny that Blue Oyster Cult, <clears throat> who I really love, mm -hmm. but Blue Oyster Cult has like 500 songs <laughs> and they've got like 15 that are just perfect, you know? Yeah. yeah. And somehow Ghost has figured out how to sound like those 15 perfect ones yeah. and keep doing them. Yeah. And Blue Oyster Cult hasn't even figured out. <laughs> like you are out Blue Oyster and Cult, he's, Blue Oyster Cult. He's... Um... <laughs> I, I, I don't throw around the the, uh, the phrase genius all that often, really. But I, I think it's not just musically. It's he's a visionary. He's got. He. I think I've, I've read in a, an interview that he wanted Ghost to be like a like a stage show. Really, mm -hmm. he wanted to stand back one day and be like the director of it, not necessarily the person on the stage. I can see him right. doing that one day and turning it into something other than a, a rock band. Yeah, he's really. He really is. <clears throat> thinking ahead yeah. he, he i don't think he gets enough credit for that and um, and i like the, the best bands i think are the ones who have an image and the music mm. you know i had a friend accuse me one time of saying man you just like any band that has an image <clears throat> that's not really true no there's lots of bands who have an image and nothing no music you know and there's yeah. lots of bands who have really good music but you know they just look like Definitely. yeah or frumpy guys in a flannel shirt standing on stuff <laughs> But the I'm, best ones are the one, the best ones are the ones I think that have both of it really going on. Even a simple thing like the Ramones, four leather jackets, the four haircuts, everybody you know, you look like you know, I always thought they were brothers when I was a little kid. <laughs> and um 
it's a very very easy assumption to make yeah so i mean it's a, it's it's just to me, my favorite bands are the ones who have it both going on and you can't have one without the other it just no. doesn't work but um but yeah my band had uh <clears throat> i played in a band called the mighty fox for quite a long time and like i say we started getting lumped in with the hair the band thing yeah I just couldn't get out of it because we were doing so well. I kept thinking, man, I, I think I'd like my music to be a little more aggressive because I was listening to a lot of early Metallica and Megadeth yeah. and uh, <clears throat> Exodus, all these, uh, you know, real heavy bands and uh, a lot of underground punk stuff, Fear mm -hmm. and the Misfits and things. And I was really, you know, I still like it catchy. You know, I yeah. like a heavy song that's catchy. I kind of like just bubblegum music uh disguised as metal you know? i'm totally the same and i've not been able to explain what it is that i because I, I got um i got mates who go for a real sort of thrash metal or um like the real the real dark the real death metal sort of thing that you cannot understand i i need to know yeah. what they're singing about there needs to be a melody in there but it needs to be sort of i can go for softer stuff i'm into folk music as well for christ's sake um but it's got to be yeah, a heavy melody in there for really hooking yeah. in. So, yeah, it is, yeah. I always tell everybody, if it's got loud drums and loud guitar, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> you know? There you go. <clears throat> but if yeah. it's got a catchy chorus, um, and some of these guys, they're just they're singing like Cookie Monster. I mean, the Cookie Monster <laughs> voice is just like, yeah. you know, macaroons, <laughs> chocolate chip. You're like, what's he saying? You know, go, I'm like, you know, it's just. We have me and my wife went to see uh, Slipknot at the beginning of the year, which was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the band that she's wanted to see for years, and right. I, I'm not such a massive fan. I'm a big admirer of Corey Taylor and Stone Sour mm -hmm. and other things, not necessarily Slipknot. Yeah, yeah. But um, Behemoth were supporting them, and oh yeah, I couldn't listen to them before seeing them live. Amazing! I was really hooked yeah. in, but yeah, now I cannot listen to them sort of if I can't see them. Really good band, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did that for <clears throat> a bunch of years and we had the pretty nice show. We had flamethrowers and all this stuff going <laughs> on in bars. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and we had all this, this cool, cool stuff, air aircraft lights underneath the drums and smoke and fog and all that stuff. And people were like, man, I'm like, Hey, you got to put on a show. And we, <clears throat> we were the only ones doing that that weren't, you know, famous. Hmm. Uh, and then great white ruined all of that. Um, when they they're sparkling and oh, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate because our flames are like 10 you could adjust them you know between yeah. like three feet and 10 feet and it looks great on the side of the stage but they're just poof pops you could put your hand in it and you know it's it, <laughs> you know, you, like you put your ear through it but those everybody's like oh you guys are all dangerous now i'm like no that's not dangerous <laughs> man i mean this was it was uh we had a, a fireman actually built them wow. and so but back then you didn't really need a license to do it and then great white with their dopey um sparklers <laughs> sparklers <laughs> put an end to all of it man at least do something cool metal <laughs> the flames man. sparklers you set the place on fire you nitwit and that uh, was that stupid yeah now that changed everything but it only takes one time, you know, and everything's different. Yeah. I saw it for all of us. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you still, a lot of people are probably still bitter about that. Um, yeah. Oh God. People lost their lives on that, man. Was it, was it with that band that you, um, you were on the same bill as Blue Oyster Cult at one time? Yeah. Yeah. We played, uh, 
we played with a lot of famous people down the line. Um, the Blue Oyster Cult thing, it was just funny. I just happened to find the ticket stub <laughs> and I posted it. And uh, because of the other, the rest of the band said, oh man, I, I lost my stub. And they, you know, they tried to keep some of this memorabilia and, and I actually found mine. So I posted it so, mostly so they could see it. <laughs> and um, they started reminding me of the night we had. And it was a perfect night because we could play all original stuff. We could use our effects. It was, a, and both bands just killed that night. It was yeah. really a good night. And, uh, <laughs> but I forgot they, uh, backstage, they give the bands complimentary beer and, you know, some whiskey and, you know, and like a, a, a tray with lunch meats and stuff on it. Yeah. And, um, we ran out of, <laughs> we ran out of booze. So our bass player, Al McKenzie, he also plays in that band firehouse. Right. So, he, so we, we, we ran out of uh, beer and stuff and Al said, I'll just go get some. <clears throat> so him and I started walking through the hallways looking and we found Blue Oyster Cult's dressing room. Al goes right in and takes all their beer. Like, Dude, that's pretty, that's, I, I'm not even sure I would do that. But uh, I, can't think that I can't think they were too happy with that. You know what? I think we were kind of mad because there was a radio interview I was driving down the road listening to the radio interview and they were, and the DJ was going, man, you guys got a great opening band, Fox. And they were like the mighty Fox who said, Oh, they must be like hot girls. And I remember at the time going, Hey man, <laughs> you know, I mean, they didn't know, yeah. but there must've been something in that. Oh, mighty. We're, we're girls, huh? So Al, you know, DJ, <laughs> at least you didn't go on in dresses or anything to, uh, they were out. disappointed when they saw us. Let's oh, just say that. <laughs> Till they heard you play, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, and you know it was a good show. But yeah, we we did that for a long time, and then, you know, it just uh, I had a daughter, and I thought, man, you guys, I can't keep traveling because we were gone at least six months of the year, traveling all over the country, and I just told him, man, I don't want to be one of those dads who's just not there. Yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> I said, well, I'll do one more tour and then I got to shut it down. Well, not sh totally shut it down, mm -hmm. but I'd just rather concentrate on recording and doing stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, I thought, well, I'm the lead singer. They're, I, you know, I'm, they're going to be done. And I felt, I felt bad because we had four band guys. Everybody depends on you, you know, and then we had, we had two roadies, a light man and a sound man and all their families. So yeah. they're relying on you to keep doing this. <clears throat> so I, it was like my two week notice, guys, I got one more tour and I guess I gotta, I gotta take a step back. So we did it, still didn't hit it big. And I came home and I, I, I bailed out, you know, and just told them what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to break the band up, you know, but I just couldn't keep doing that. And I thought, yeah. boy, these guys are going to be a mess. I'm the singer. What are they going to do? And they kept right on going. <laughs> Reverse psychology. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, it was are one they... of those things where everybody could actually sing in that band. We could do like real nice four-part harmonies and stuff, which is yeah. odd for a metal band. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And they're like, we don't need you. I was like, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a big jerk. Are they, are they, are they still going or? How long did they carry We still for? play together. Yeah, um, awesome. Al plays in Firehouse, like I said. So in the summertime, especially, he's playing uh, like stadiums or big, real big places with, they double up, they, they like, it, one band can't really pull enough. Mm. So they play with Poison, Rat, Cinderella, um, some of those bands. Yeah. And um, so they all play together. 
So that way they all, there's so many people, they all can make enough money. Mm-hmm. But if, and Al does play shows by himself. I mean, he'll, they'll still draw a few thousand people every night. So, okay. you know, wow. they, yeah. So, I mean, he, and he, he gets to tour all over the world, you know? So I think he's just a, he's a music junkie, you know? So he's just, he's really into the thing. But when he comes home, you know, when I came home from tour, I was tired. I don't, and I just wanted to read comic books and watch movies. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that stuff. Al's a maniac he'll come home off a big tour with all these big famous bands and he'll ring me up hey you want to do some gigs what (laughs) you need to calm down I'm about as far from that world you know sort of I've always been a uh, a daydreamer that one day I would even just like a pub band around it that was my kind of vision that I'd get some mates together we'd do the pub circuit around it whatever still not happened but I am so far you can make it happen man it can happen one day one day we'll see I'm 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 getting I've always had a a problem with um I wouldn't say stage fright because I'd never really played that sobbing bedroom until sort of a year or so ago but I I can I can now play comfortably in the house I can probably sing along a little bit, you know, when people are around, but I, you know, my anxiety kind of gets the better of me, I suppose, but. You don't uh, seem like the type to have stage fright, man. (laughs) You know, just look, when I first started, I would sing and I would look over people's heads just a little bit. So it looked like I was looking at them, (laughs) but I'm really looking over their heads until, and now I just look straight in the eye, you know, (laughs) I've done it so many times. I don't care. It doesn't get it. My mom was, my mom was a singer and she said, she said that uh, when she first started, she would just imagine everybody was naked, no clothes. And she said she would just stay on stage and laugh. <laughs> I, just, I hear that a lot. And I was, I've always wanted to ask, does that work, that theory? Because, yeah, it would just make me laugh. So put me off it whatever it is. It did I guess. <laughs> <clears throat> so from, um, from being a musician into like voiceover work, how did that come about? Well, um. I know my voice doesn't sound great today. I had a rough day last night and it's usually pretty strong, but I've been doing this a lot today. Too we'll much going on. We'll but I, um, I, I was always asked to like read something in school or something like that. You know, and I can change my voice to sound like oh, all this weird stuff, you know, or, you know, like yeah. Bugs Bunny. I think I made a wrong twin in Albuquerque. You know, you just do, you start doing all this stuff as a kid, you know. That's and I started, crazy. you know, I, I would imitate my teachers and stuff in school. <laughs> we had a teacher in, in, in middle school. We had a teacher. Uh, he was the principal. And he talked like this. And he would always say the same thing at, uh, at the morning announcements every day. He would say. Uh, he, would, he would tell us what we're having for lunch. Uh, hamburger sandwiches and pickle slices. And he would say all this stuff. And then he would say, if it was warm enough, he'd say, uh, Please, if you're going outside after lunch, please put on a wrap. <laughs> and we would just sit in class and laugh. One day, like a moron, I sneak into the office. Who does this? I sneak into the office and I grab the microphone and I start making up my own announcements <laughs> in Mr. Burke's voice. Brilliant. Oh. Dude, and I started, I started talking about raps and all this stuff. And I started doing all this crazy stuff. It sounded like Kermit the Frog. And I could just, and I shut the door and I could hear all these feet running, you know, like there's a terrorist in the, oh, no. in the, on the microphone and I can just hear feet running towards me to, to shut me down, my pirate radio station. And I can also hear classrooms of kids just laughing their brains. <laughs> so I just got into the voice thing early and then 
after music, uh, my girlfriend, I did a little demo of a bunch of cartoon voices and stuff. And um, she sent it somewhere without me even knowing about it. She took that little demo and she um, emailed it to a, a, some companies. And the very next day I'm getting emails saying, hey, we want to work with you. And I'm like, how, what's going on here? And she said, oh, I sent that thing in. That, I said, that little cartoon demo? And she said, yeah. And suddenly I was doing like, um, you know, it was a lot of European stuff. I was doing uh, like the, the voice of um, Lego Batman. <clears throat> for it was just but there's a lot of lego batman yeah. let me just say that yeah. you know because there's so much out there not one guy can do it all so i was doing that and i was basically just doing you know snake plissken you know doing that kind of voice you know <clears throat> and she said one day um she wanted to go out and i had so much batman work to do right. <laughs> she said she said can, can i say the s word I mean, I don't know how the Zoom works. I mean, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trouble. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, she said <clears throat> she really wanted to go out that night. And I, I said, I can't. I have Batman shit to do. <laughs> and she said, did you ever think those words would come out of your mouth? <laughs> I can't go out tonight. I have Batman Maybe as a kid. Yeah, yeah. I I, you know, I, of course, I, I thought it might happen. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so I got, that's how I got started. And um, it just it led into commercial work. Um, just, I do a lot of commercials. I've had um, little uh, pieces on like the Travel Channel and some TV stuff, mostly um, radio and um, things like that. But I, I always wanted to do audiobooks. <clears throat> I read an excerpt of the Vampire Lestat and I, <clears throat> I read that and I sent it to some, some companies in the middle of my music career. And I didn't get any responses. And I and I found out later, it's just, it's so hard to get into audiobooks. It's it's the same thing as music, you know. If you don't have a manager or someone or a, a entertainment lawyer to submit your stuff, they just, if they get something unsolicited, they just toss it. They don't even listen to it. Yeah. They just toss it in the trash, you know. And I didn't know that at the time. I knew that's how music worked. But I didn't know that in the audiobook world, you also have to have an entertainment lawyer or you're just not going to. Right. They're not even going to live. If, if they hear it, it's it's a one a million. The guy was bored and put it in and happened to like it. And that just doesn't happen. To be know? fair, I, I until you just said that, I didn't know that was like that with audiobooks myself. Anyway, I thought sort of anyone, not everyone can sort of do it. I think you've got to have a certain quality and a certain talent for the, yeah. for the, for the voices to, to be able to do it successfully. But I just kind of thought that if you wanted to do it, there's places that you can you can go on, you can send stuff off to, and you know people will be sort of clambering over themselves for it. But. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of good audiobook readers I'm finding out. There there are a few that my sister's a real big audiobook person. Okay. And I was too. I, I had a job where I just drove around town. I was a courier and I would drive around my little pickup truck and I would just listen to audiobooks all yeah. day long. And there was a guy named Frank Muller who, I mean, this guy could read his grocery list and you'd be like <laughs> riveted. Wow. This guy was so good and he died young. He died in a motorcycle crash and he, uh, but he read a lot of early Stephen King stuff. It, it, I mean, if you, if you Google Frank Muller, you'll see the list of, he did a bunch of work in a very short time Okay, and he got, yeah, he did some of the dark tower, uh, Stephen King books. And that guy was just, he did, um, uh, what's that, uh, tribulation series, uh, the, 
the Christianity end of the world series by Ter uh, was it Terry Jenkins and um, Left be Behind that series. Okay. <clears throat> he did That's a lot cool. of that stuff too. Cool. Um, and he was an actor, but he didn't. I, I don't. I never. I really don't think he did a ton of work acting. Um, I saw him in a McDonald's commercial once. Okay. That's about it. That's about the only thing I've. But man, that guy had a voice, and you yeah. just—if you see narrated by Frank Muller, even if it's a book you're not interested in, you listen to. I'm, it I'm gonna. Just, yeah. After this, I'm think I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna Google it yeah. and find out because I, I was a bit late to the party with audiobooks, which is odd, seems though I've I've had now two out. Um, but I wasn't until like yourself, I got a, a job where I was driving around a lot. I used to listen to music sort of day in, day out. And then, um, yeah. I, I think I bought just a James Herbert audiobook just on the fly. And I was so nice. drawn into it. I, I, I didn't think if I was out driving or whatever, that I'd be able to concentrate on the story, but it's amazing how it sort of bleeds into you, even though you're not really think you're taking it in, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, from there, I, I found them they're very soothing to me and I can kind of, I'm not, I do read a lot, but I think I absorb a story better in audio form. Oh, um, really? Than reading it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great for me to be able to get to a stage where I could have one of my stories out there. And, well, um, I did it. I hope I did it well for you. You did an amazing job and I, I wasn't doing a cheap plug there. I mean, so we'll, we'll go on to, um, to how a necessary end came to be. Cause from my perspective, it was quite, easy you know i'd written the book already um i'd already got it out there in print form and i thought i i stumbled across um how acx and audible works and and the fact mm -hmm. that i could just sort of put my book up there and, and sort of see if anyone wanted to do it so what was the process like for you in terms of when you when you first saw my for my book for example um and sort of where did how did that start off for you from when you saw it to then when you auditioned to then when we started recording that? Well, I went to California for uh, <clears throat> a uh, conference on voiceover actors. So I went to the, I went to the, the conference and I met people who were doing a lot of video games, which I, I do a lot of video games as well, but I went there and they kept saying, you can make a nice living in audiobooks if you if you just kind of keep it going. I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to read anything I'm not really interested in. It's funny you mentioned James Herbert because uh, one of the very first books I ever read was Rats. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> and it freaked me out. I, I, and I, you know, I was pretty young, man. And I was reading that book and I had saved my money to get it. Wow. And I had it laying around the house one day and my dad picked it up. And my dad, you know, he's a big mean guy. Mm. And I thought, oh crap, I saw him reading it. I thought, <laughs> you know, and he he gave it back eventually and he said, That's quite a book there, son. I was like, <laughs> oh, buddy, I thought I was gonna get in trouble. <clears throat> Cause it's a it's kind of there's some really spooky parts yeah. and there's a little sex thrown in there, and I thought, oh man, I'm not supposed to be reading. <laughs> but that's how it, that was my start into horror. Okay. And then um as I grew older, Stephen King, I discovered him because everyone was talking about him and yeah. um, some Dean Koontz. But then I discovered H.P. Lovecraft sort of sort of on my own. I think I might have heard Call of Cthulhu by Metallica and yeah. thought, what's that? What? And um, it's exactly the same yeah. as me. Yeah, I discovered Lovecraft through that song. So. Yeah, and I, I started and then I read an interview with Stephen King saying when he was a kid, he found some Lovecraft in his dad's belongings. And he read that and it freaked him out, of course. And um, 
so I really got into Lovecraft and I still can put, I, that's a, an author I can take back out and reread it and think, yeah. wow, this is great. Cause he yeah. uses such a weird language, you know, and yeah. a lot of times I'll have to get a dictionary and look up what's he, <laughs> he's got no problem with throwing a word at you. You've never even heard before. No, nope, he can make so, up a whole language on his own and you just let him do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. He's that, he was that good. So, um, but I, I've always been drawn to horror and, you know, science fiction and things like that. Fantasy and <clears throat> it's just more, it's, it's very interesting to me. I, it's hard for me to read about mundane day-to-day -day stuff, man. When I read a book or hear a book, I want an escape. Same as music. I, I want to, I want some sort of escape from just the, you know, the hassles yeah. of the day, you know? Yeah. And so I've always been drawn to the horror thing. <clears throat> and I saw your book yours is the first one I've ever done. And, and that's why another reason it took me so long <laughs> right at the end, I started getting a, a rhythm for it. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, sure took me long enough. <laughs> but so I, I read the, I read your excerpt, you know, the little blurb that yeah. tell you know, that you can read about the book. And I was like, oh, this is the one right here. I read a bunch of them. <clears throat> one was pretty good. It was kind of a sci-fi end of the world thing, which is fun to read. Mm -hmm. um, and I read yours. I said, oh, I'm gonna try this guy first, man. This is this is this is perfect for me. And uh, and I sent it in. And it was almost like the old days in music, you know, getting that rejection notice because you had <laughs> kind of disregarded it somehow or hit the wrong button or something. And I, I thought, I think it oh, like timed out. I think, yeah, it timed out or something. I, know, I was something. just about, I'd listened to it. I was just about to, you know, hit the, uh, the accept button, whatever it was. And it just wouldn't let me. So yeah, yeah, no, I, no. I, well, I was like, <laughs> man, I was all disappointed for like a couple of days. I was walking around going, I oh, wanted, no. that's the one I wanted to read. <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend's going well there there be something else interesting for you and I said, oh i want that one. <laughs> oh, oh i feel really bad it, now that i made you think i made you feel like that no so, yeah. yeah no but it, it it worked out and i got and i yeah. and i was really happy that i got a chance to read that one yeah i i loved it because i um i wouldn't have known when the, the first bit that you that you read the audition bit i i didn't really know you were American because you, you know, you, I needed the, the English speaking quality for the narrator part. Cause it's obviously it's yeah. based in England and, and that. And right. because the, the one, the, the main character in it is the tricky Jack, who is very, um, I mean, he's a Dickensian gentleman. So he was very sort of well to do in terms of sort of how he spoke and how he presented himself. Right. So that's the kind of quality I wanted. And then when I, I realized afterwards that you, you, you weren't, you know, British. I, yeah. I was more amazed because the voices, the accents and that, that you do through that are, are insane. Really. Well, I appreciate it, man. Uh, like I, I said, it. It, it comes pretty natural because I've just heard it my whole life. And, mm. you know, and, and I've been to England before and I just, I just kind of slip right in with the locals and my girl's like, how, how do you, I said, I don't, I feel like I'm home, you know, <clears throat> when I go to England, I feel, I just feel like these are my people, you know, I doesn't yeah. even, and I, I, my voice starts changing, you know, the accent yeah. starts changing and then I come home and I gotta, you know, and, and when I was doing, and when I was doing your book, since I'm not a native, you know, even though I'm Brit, I'm not exactly a native. So mm. I was, I found myself slipping into Americanisms. I would, you know, yeah, I would do the voice without thinking much okay. about it. And then suddenly a little bit of American would start popping. I'm like, ah, oh, I got to redo that part, man. I, just... <laughs> I suppose it doesn't help the fact that I do have an American family in it as well. So you kind of, you had the liberty yeah. to, to dip in and out of it anyway. Yeah. 
yeah so that it was nice having so many different uh accents and and creatures and people yeah. and i was like whoa and like uh you know it, it was it's it the story wasn't only great but the characters i'm like oh man i i was digging the characters man from courtney i could do that i could do that all day you know <laughs> love that guy and man. You kind of, love you, that. it's it's weird when you write in a book you kind of um i mean for me anyway i'll play it out in my head i'll write it as if it's playing out as a movie or whatever it's very difficult to sort of pull voices out you know what they should sound like but you can never really hear them for yourself and Ephraim Courtney for yeah. one was I think the one of the first characters in that that really blew me away what you did because it was like that is exactly it and um the next one in, ah, in, pa- cool. pa- in Passenger 29 when you do the captain um that again was exactly i didn't have to give any kind of oh. that was exactly what i was after so that's what i knew we were onto a winner when Thank i was you. sort of getting those but uh so um yeah. i You're i was awesome. i wasn't bothered with how long you, you know apologizing for how long it's taken i i had no deadline in mind anyway but the the, the quality of the, the the samples and that that you were sending through i i just leave you with it you know i knew it was going to be good and i was so pleased when it was finished and it gave me i was i was really i, I was really excited when you you sent me through you know, a few chapters here and there to listen to. And, and I knew because I was, uh, I've got like an hour and a half commute each way, each day at the time. I knew that I'd be able to listen to it then. I was quite excited for listening to the next cool. one and how it was coming together. So uh, see, what, was there one particular part of the story that was either the easiest and the most natural, you really sort of got into it more than the rest? And was there one, there was there one part that really sort of was tricky? Well, Alundra was tricky because near the end of the story, you know, we had, we had come up with so many different characters and voices. And then here comes Alundra, this beautiful, this woman that any man would die for and maybe any woman too. She's just the most gorgeous woman you've ever seen. And she's, she's you know, she's like the queen of hell. She's like this horrible <laughs> thing that you know she'll kiss you and kill you rip your private parts <laughs> off at the exact same time you know she probably and, and she's happy to do it you know mm. so i kept thinking all right what um i th- i always thought german girls were really beautiful but the the accent is just so rough and i thought gosh what what accent and i thought French man let's try just a very light French accent and I remember asking you man I'm I don't think she should be Brit I'm thinking just a you know yeah when my when my grandpa came from home from World War II I guess this my dad told me he said he was uh you know well it was actually when he was you know at the end of his life he started getting a little delirious there and he started talking about somebody named Fifi LaRue okay and my grandma <laughs> You know, I mean, the guy, the guy's, you know, getting to the end of the line here and he starts raving about Fifi LaRue and we can only imagine it was somebody he met in World War II and my grandma, you know, what's she going to do? Oh no. Fifi LaRue. And I always thought, you know, Fifi LaRue had such a voice like, oh, Pooh, I'm so bad, please, you know, and I, I thought, you know what, if I, if I change that a little bit, that's the way Fifi LaRue sounds in my head. <laughs> I thought, you know, if I could soften that up and make it a little less, you know, poofy, mm-hmm. that could be Alundra. So that's, mm-hmm. and then you were like, oh, that's good. Let's do yeah. that. And I was so, yeah, yeah, that's how I went with Alundra. But the, were, the, 
you were giving me ideas for some of these characters, which again, I, I love the exchange we had because it's not just like I'm sat in front of a, a laptop and I'm, I'm just writing what's in my head. You know, we were sharing that, bringing it to life. That's what I love about audiobooks. It just yeah. gives it that other dimension because I had um, mm-hmm. House of Courtney was released um, as an audiobook in its own right um, when it was just on its own before I sort of merged House of Courtney and Black Gang together and, and created a necessary end. And there's just something right. about uh, the, the guys that did that. Um, they're a local production company called Circle of Spears. And the guy, Sam, who did the voiceover, he had it again nailed. And it's just this, it was a different quality than what you had. But there's, both, both stories, when they're read, just, they felt different, but they felt the same. If that, if yeah. that you know, it had the same impact. I think the, the stories that are in The Necessary End, it helps because they're my favorite of what I've, what I've written um i didn't have to force them and i think hearing them come to life in that um with what you did is well, it gives me it. it's given me a new appreciation for that book i think once it was released in book form i kind of stepped away from it to do other things and i forgot about it but then hearing it again it's made me fall in love with it even more you know so uh yeah i'm, I'm really really excited to see sort of where where it goes and i know we're talking yeah, about already I'm waiting for the next chapter in the series, man. I'm like, when's it coming out? When's it yeah. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've had, I've had books that I've read uh, and then found the audio book mm. at the library or something. And I, I grab I, it's, and you listen, you, you, you've already read it and you mm. got your, your visuals there and then you listen to it. And it's like all, it's all it's like different. a whole new cool story to, yeah. you know, and, you know, it's like, I, I, I like to play video games too. I don't have much time anymore, but, I would always play the game all the way through and then I'd get the strategy guide and I would read the strategy guide to find the secrets that I missed. It's like, wow, this is a whole new game. <laughs> I think it's the same thing as an audio It is. Yeah. 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 I used to be a bit like, I didn't have the patience to go back. Once I finished a game, I was like, well, I'm done. I know where it ends. It's fine. I wouldn't go back to it. Um, but with audiobooks, you now hit the nail on the head. It is like rediscovering certain parts of it again. Maybe for me, it's like watching a movie I've watched 10 times but having subtitles on because there's dialogue there I've missed. And all of a sudden, it puts a new spin on something that happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't think it's, it's not fair for a, an audiobook reader or narrator. I don't think it's not fair for them to just read it and then send it off. Mm. You know, that's why I, we had a really nice collaboration here, man, because I would, you know, I would send you the chapter and I thought, well, he needs to be part of it. I mean, you know, it's his story, man. I mean, I, I would feel like a real jerk if we didn't collaborate on that yeah. thing because I wanted your input and I wanted you to be happy with it, man. That, my main thing was I want Chris to be proud of this as he is of his written work, yeah. you know? And I know some narrators, they'll just narrate it, send it off to the, to the book company. And next thing you know, it's on audible and the author's like, man, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want that. So no, you know, I, when I finished a couple chapters, I'd send them and you'd, you'd give me your feedback and I could tweak it and yeah. make it the one. And I, I, that's the way I like to work. You know, I, I hadn't done it before. It's the first time I put one out there myself. Uh, when I had the first audiobook of House of Courtney done, we had the same exchange going, but I didn't, all I did was I just sent my manuscript, you know, and um, he would give, they, they would come back to me with certain pronunciations of something and give me samples and whatever. And I felt part of the process. You know, it wasn't me actually doing anything other than giving the story over. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, with this one, I felt because I produced the book and everything myself anyway, there's that 
as that also that other bit of pride in there. Yeah, this yeah. Is actually, this is cool. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's a it's a book to be proud of. I I couldn't believe that you were like such a young author. I thought because it, I mean, it it hits all the marks. It doesn't slow down at all. I mean, there's no there's no spot in the book you're thinking, oh, let me just get through this. And there's none of that. From beginning to end, man, it's go. <laughs> and, you know, and there's always a twist and turn. I kept wondering, where's the spider thing going to go? Oh, man, dude. <laughs> and I, I'm not even afraid of spiders. I don't care. I mean, it's, that dog, I had two nightmares over that book. Man. One, of just, one is the spider story. Right. And I kept, I think the other one was when Phil turned. I was like, wow, uh, man, the house got him or something. And that's yeah. why I asked you. I'm like, I wasn't totally sure. Is that Phil doing that, man? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he had just turned from, like, their buddy, you know, a little bit on the outside. Mm. But next thing you know, he's just gone into total maniac mode. And I, yeah. I thought maybe the house or something got him, something in the house, the the, the witch's spirit or something. And, and, and you know, I, I go to bed thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> And I go to sleep and I'm, <laughs> you know, Lauren's like, what, dude, uh, no, nothing. I, I'm that's, fine. And that's, uh, you know, disturbing for yourself. That's my job done. You know, that's what you <laughs> yeah, kind of man. want as a, especially when you're writing horror, the, the Omidia that you were talking about, the, the spider, that was actually the second story I ever wrote. I wrote my first book yeah. and then that just it sort of came out of nowhere because I do have a slight fear of big spiders. And I thought, what can get me over that? let's write a story about the biggest spider that I can think of, you know? And, um, oh my God. Dude. And then when you, when, when this, I like when the stories continue into each other, mm. you know, the, 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 the spider, the story of the spider, you think it, it's over. And then, you know, and then Phil leaves that girl to sit there for a monster spider that comes out of the woods. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah, that's back. You know? you're like, no, you know, I thought it'd be like, imagine like an alien race that comes to earth. And they don't, you know, they, they kind of crash land or whatever, and they don't know that there's people or, or anything. And they land in the ocean or, or yeah. you know, on the beach or something. And they're, you know, radioing back, you know, hey, we're on this planet. We're making repairs. And they see like a king crab come up to the, win to the window. Ah, you know, or, or jellyfish. Even, you know? And, yeah. you're, and they're thinking, oh, there's so much weird life on this. And they get outside of the spacecraft and then there's an alligator walking on the beach. <laughs> ah, you know, all these weird things, man. Like, a, a, like a kid, like a King crab or something with the legs and spiders and alligators. Whole, whole they series don't look like they come. should exist, you know? Yeah. An octopus. Yeah. <laughs> what? That doesn't even look like it should be something. <laughs> you know? I, I read um, a couple of years ago, I, I read the Steve Alton Meg series. I don't know if you've ever read oh, that. Oh, that was great, yeah. Yeah, because that was uh, I. I became fascinated. I've always been fascinated with sea creatures and the fact that you know that so very little of our ocean has been explored. So you're like, these things could be out there. We don't know. So yeah. your imagination just goes. I mean, he's got life in that series for decades. I think if he wanted to, because he could really just bring up anything and just carry it it's on. It's very yeah. You're, you know. you're right. It's very good. And you know what? I I don't remember how big the Meg was in the story. Big. I and then the baby grew. Yeah. You know, gigantic. But you know, the ocean is so huge. How much? can we have explored of it, you know, and it's always changing. So even yeah, if you explored yeah. pieces of it, it's always changing into something else. And uh, I remember when I was, when, when um, 
gosh, when I was a little kid, maybe Jaws 3 or something came out. And I, you know, wow. You know, of course, that scared everyone. Yeah. And I was reading something about Jacques Cousteau had said that he was in a deep sea submersible one time. And it's just black down there. Hmm. And he said they were doing a check. And I don't know if it was him and another guy. Oh, it was two men, I think, or something. And he said, okay, turn on the lights. And they turned the lights on. And he said, right outside the window was a 60-foot great white shark. Wow. And I mean, this is coming from Jacques Cousteau. And I remember, read, I remember reading that and thinking, well, it doesn't sound so big. And, you know, you're a little kid. You don't know what 60 feet is. And then you see the one in Jaws is like 15. And you're like, puts in perspective. <laughs> Whoa. And then, you know, you look, it's the size of a school bus, you know. Mm. And he said that uh, in this little excerpt I read by him, he said when they turned the lights on, it freaked out and, and left. They never saw it again mm. because it was just in, living in the black down there yeah. or, or it was in the black down there. And it, it, they freaked it out and it took off running. Yeah. But I was like, 60. And that's coming from Jacques Cousteau. Oh, no. Yes, it's got to be fairly. Well, there's, there's, there's arguments going on now about whether the Megalodon actually still exists. You know, and I, I, I you can't disprove it, in my opinion. No, you you can't. I mean, even though the, the, the earth changed at that mm. time and most things died out, there's still warm spots in the ocean. And, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it would need sunlight a lot less than some other things, mm. you know. So, hey, man. As, as fantastical as his series might seem, when you read it, you're actually like, actually, this could be possible. And it really does mm -hmm. get you thinking. And it's, it's quite, but I, I, yeah, I really admire the fact that I've read quite a few of his series, you know, different ones like the Mayan Prophecy series he's had as well. And, you know, he can turn his attention to some quite intriguing subjects, you know, thought provoking. It's not just yeah. like a story that's on the page and then you put it down and you can forget about it. You really do carry on thinking. Right. And um, if it's, if it's something that possibly could be real, oh, that's even scarier. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> you know, My problem as a writer, I start off and I, I was like, Every time I, I want to write a story which could be rooted in reality, but then something goes in that I'm like, I can't ignore this. I know it's completely out there and it's probably never going to happen. But if it's good, uh, chase it. Yeah, you know, that's, it. that's it. That should be the bottom line all the time. You know, whether you want, <laughs> you know, and I've done that. I've written a song and then suddenly something else takes off and I'm like, you know what? I really liked this idea, but it's not worth it. This one's the one I need to go out. And then the thing I'm writing changes. It's just yeah. the, it's almost the exact same thing. You know, yeah. you got to go after what's good. That's know? it. That's it. So, um, cool. Wind it down to the, to the last little bit of the interview. Now, this has been absolutely amazing catching up with you. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you've got going on at the moment or in the future that you can talk about? I know you've got a few things on, on. The well, road. yeah, I, can, I think I'm, um, the only thing I can't, well, I can talk about it, but I can't show it anyway. Well, I can't, you know, on, on Zoom, I couldn't show it anyway. Mm. I guess unless I held up my phone. I've got a little, <laughs> I've got a little cartoon uh, coming up on, on the Cartoon Network. I'm doing the voice of a fish. Oh, cool! And it's it's basically just the Ray Romano. They wanted me to sound kind of like Ray Romano, <laughs> so they got a little fish that sounds kind of like Billy Crystal, and then the big fish is Ray Romano. And uh, that's really the only thing I can't really show. Uh, like I haven't posted it. I, mm. I, I like to keep, I don't like to get personal on Facebook. I don't want to show my family stuff and I don't want to yeah. get, you know, involved in that, but I like to post the professional things that I'm doing just to get people excited about it, you know? Yeah. And I have, there's a lot of people out there who I'm friends with, you know, because of my music. Thing. Yeah. And 
but the fish thing is pretty neat. And you know, he just says, "Oh, you know, oh, to, it, it, like they're eating fish." And he says, "That's different colors. I don't want different colors." You know, <laughs> get that weird. He sounds kind of like Snuffleupagus, you know, <laughs> or something like that. So oh, I've got that cartoon that they're trying. It's it, it's a, it's another it's another pilot, cool. um, and it's a short cartoon that'll be interspersed between the regular cartoons. And I think the makers of, um, oh gosh gumball i think they're the ones behind okay. it but i can't i can't show it i'm you know yeah no nah, that's NDA, cool sign this nda you know i can talk <laughs> about it but you can't can't show yet. anything okay that's cool then i've got the tv show i'm doing is uh it's another pilot series um i'm with uh i'm with a young cute girl she's my co-host and the show is called modern classics and of course she teases me because i'm old school and she's got her <laughs> gps out and in one episode, like I'm, we're driving down the road going to interview somebody. It's about people with classic cars, classic boats, classic airplanes. Awesome. And yeah, it's it's pretty neat, you know, and the passion they have for these different things. And so we go and we interview them, and we we also stop at like roads, like oddball diners and things, and we, you know, we um, explore some of that, and the, then the producers and directors film some of that, so you can see some of the places along the way. Um, and like I'll I'll say, uh, her name's Diana. I call her Mally. Her last name's Malici or something like that. And I just call her Mally. I say, hey Mally, reach in the glove box here and pull that map out. She <laughs> this big map <laughs> flying all over the, the truck, you know. And she's like, what? And she pulls out her GPS on her phone. I'm like, what? What are you doing? You know, I thought she's gonna take a picture. She's like, I'm just gonna use GPS. What? You know, and she goes, I can't believe you used this thing. So the whole rest of the episode, you see her fumbling with this. You know, I'm talking to somebody. You see her in the background trying to refold this <laughs> stupid map. That at the end of the end episode, you know, I did it. It's over. <laughs> so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of comedy in there. And like, awesome. and she's real cute. She's real nice. We get along. We have a really nice chemistry. So it's working out really well. Brilliant. But she, uh, like every time a guy has this cool car, he'll say, you know, hey, one of you guys want to take a ride? Oh, yeah, we, you know, we both, and they always take her. Yeah, I look at the camera, <laughs> what a surprise. Every time the You'll cute get girl yours. gets to go. You'll get yeah. us. Yeah. And then, and then the, the, the whole concept is she's modern and I'm the classic. How much of that then is 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 stuff that you're? Um, is it is it scripted the exchange between you, or is it very organic? No, just... it it wasn't scripted at all. It just awesome. it's just starting to happen. You know, Brilliant. like the very first time she said, "Hi, I'm okay. Take care. I'm Diana. I'm Dave." And she she said, "I'm modern." And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm classic." So now we just keep it going. You know? Cool. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's been, brilliant! No, okay. I um I encourage anyone really to uh, if you if you got any any pages any social media that people can follow you to see what you're up to. They can. I've just got uh, Facebook. Um, I think it's Jack Davidson. It's a, it's it's. I think the the address is Jack Davidson Facebook. Um, it's kind of an alter ego for <laughs> my <laughs> we one of my little. One of those. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a it's a. A, a project you know like a like a punk metal project and we oh, disguise cool. ourselves you know cool. we don't people see how old we are so we paint our faces <laughs> like zombies you know <laughs> but, like uh, cool yeah. I, I i encourage anyone to um to, to hunt you out and keep up with what you're doing because you've got a, a lot that. of exciting stuff and obviously again anyone listening to this check out unnecessary m the audiobook available on audible and amazon um 
I can't yeah. thank you enough, really, for what you've done for that. Oh, man, my pleasure, man. It was nice having the collaboration. And I, mm. you know, yeah. I'm going to um, audition for the next one, too. I, was, I don't even, yeah, I don't even think I need to go to that stage. I think it's a pretty much a given that I, yeah, I, I, I'd love for you to work on another one once, once I've, um, done my bit and written it you know that will that'll be a start but uh yeah man yeah, i'm, I'm ready to go i love your work <laughs> thank you man I'm a fan even if i wouldn't have got the gig i would have read the book and been ah. like, this is my new favorite guy man. <laughs> you're too kind sir no thank you so much for coming on and uh, being a guest and hopefully you know again down the road i'll be back you know once uh once there's projects out there we can talk about again it'll be uh it'll be brilliant okay so all right man. thank Sounds you very great. much so, okay thanks buddy cheers mate this is one of the reasons why I'm so thankful and I'm part of the uh, the writing community really is is, is through my writing and just you know, being a part of anything that I've done really. This is how I get to meet such great people like Dave. So um, thank you again to, uh, to Dave Jackson for being the guest this week. Um, thank you as well to Richard Eyre and Jackie Rom who were guests on... Um, episodes in season one as well i've had a blast doing these yeah these guest interviews i really didn't know if if i'd be any good at actually sort of holding a conversation with people but it's i found out things actually getting to talk to these guys um for the first time with richard and dave i've never spoken to them properly before but you know i've 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 known richard for five years really across social media platforms and just you know having the, the common um uh the common interest of being writers and, and with Dave I've been working with him for overall it was about six months producing the the audiobook for a necessary end, you know, and, and having doing this podcast has has meant has brought me closer to these people, being able to actually talk to them. So um yeah, thank you for everyone who's listened in um over the last sort of ten weeks as well. I when I set out doing a podcast I really had no idea where I was going to take it um, I knew I would start by sort of talking about my books and I wanted to do these deep dive episodes really it's very cathartic for me you know getting to go back in time to the places and the times that I wrote those stories or where I was and even just a matter of a few years you know how life is different for me now um, not in the sense that I've made millions and I'm living in a mansion you know in in the common sense my life isn't really all that different um just as it's gone on you know things that have happened and people i've met and different experiences i've had you know like creatively i'm in a much different place than i was when i first started um so this is what i'm hoping that this podcast will give me an extra platform to to sort of reach out to potential new readers or or you know people out there in the field that i can talk to and you know share their their triumphs their talents their thoughts on things you know anything really just having the chance to to communicate and you know to 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 share in this creativity really with other people um and hopefully obviously as listeners that you find it interesting as well so with that in mind um one of the reasons i wanted to to have dave on to talk about sort of himself his work and our audiobook of a necessary end is because i'm planning actually have a plan for season two um so i will be back in september with the uh, another full season and it will center mainly around a necessary end 
because um, whereas a lot of this season I've talked about the world of apocalypse it's where I really it's what started me off I mean if I hadn't written Acolyte I probably wouldn't have um, definitely my journey would have been a lot different um, I may have decided to go into writing in a different way but it started the process for me and with a necessary end um, this really where where the world of apocalypse is my probably my most important body of work in terms of opportunities it's given me a necessary end is by far the my favorite of what I've done and I've had the most fun writing it it wasn't it's not just one project it is the culmination it's an anthology essentially um and it's got a history as well I, mean, I thought I was only thinking about it today it used to be two books so you know it's each got its own path to how they were created as well and then I've I've, I've rewritten bits I've written new bits in I've taken bits out and made it what it is today as, as it exists as a necessary end and within that there's sort of seven or eight different stories that stand alone so I really think I've I've got enough if I dive into like I want to I dive into each of those stories each of those elements that makes up a necessary end I've got enough for a whole series there if I dissect it and um, I'm really looking forward to going back and again like I've done with this one revisiting the history behind when I wrote these stories um, what made me write them how they evolved certainly with these two because like I say they started as two separate books and then um, about 18 months two years ago I decided I wanted to try and bring them together and so the process begins I'll tell you all, all about that I won't go into that too much now I'll leave that until season two but it's where it for me really started to get interesting um, quite a bit of it I have pretty much all of it I, I did at some point I, I produced it myself I, I wrote it I self-published um, both books they were then under another publisher sort of in between but then um, sort of they're back under my control again and, and that's how I've sort of created a necessary end out of them um, and then it goes on to the audiobook so I will be sharing more um, clips from the audiobook I'll be sharing the stories behind all of the stories and there is a lot in there and it's, it's some some of the stuff that's inspired me to write the stuff that's in there is for me I, I'll enjoy talking about it because it was one probably the most interesting time of my my journey as a writer and like I say I've had the most fun writing those and as it stands only last night I've started to write a follow-up to one of the stories that existed actually one of the stories within a necessary end was the second story I ever wrote um, it was the one that I started directly after finishing Acolyte and I started a follow-up to it it's probably my most for those who have read it the one that gets the most feedback um, if you've read the book if you've read House of Courtney or uh, A Necessary End or if you want to you've got the summer you know go out get your copy of A Necessary End to join me when I come back in September so you can learn about the, the history behind it um, Umidia is the story I'm talking about and for those who have read it will know um, why it's I would say it's probably the more uh, the most popular one of my horror writings but mainly for the 
the creep aspect that it gives people, which I absolutely love to know that I've done that because that's that's what I set out to do as a horror writer. Um, and I've started, I did start three years ago to write a sequel to Amelia, and I have now decided to go back to it. So by the time I come back in September, um, hopefully I'll have the story mostly done, if not the whole, you know, the whole thing done. Where I'm going to take it, I'm not sure. I'm planning on doing a, f- a follow-up anthology to A Necessary End at some point, so I've got a lot more material to sort of churn out. But I absolutely loved... It was my effort of doing short stories, which eventually each of them grew into something more, and A Necessary End is where I put them all together. So that was why, looping back to my first point, that's why I wanted to really finish off season one with by introducing you to dave jackson because i will be sharing a lot of his work through the episodes i'll be showing um samples of the audiobook but also just to introduce you to a few of the things that you'll come across um in the uh in the episodes uh, around a necessary end in season two so follow the podcast if you don't already also follow me on facebook um at dmt books or you can just search for dead men's tales publishing um i'll probably also have a page up i've created a sister um company which will take in my more children's i think i probably mentioned it in the previous episode poison no, poison apple publishing um i've yet to really get that off the ground that will be my next my next project um possibly hopefully by the end of the year i'll have something out on that label but yeah so search for dead men's tales publishing i'll be cert- i'll be sharing news on the podcast follow the podcast um on whatever platform you listen to me now so you um so you can be told when season two is is landing um i will possibly put out a couple of bonus episodes over the summer um because i've got a couple of people lined up that i really want to bring on have a chat to they don't necessarily um fit in in the the theme of a necessary end for season two so i may well just drop them as as extras if i if i manage to over the summer so if you subscribe to the podcast follow me on facebook find me on instagram um at author.tetralblay or on twitter at tetralblay um or if you go to my website christhetralblay.com then i'll have all the news all the updates on there so before i sign off it is that time for the final time in season one for this week's first day in history that's right so the final this day in history for this season so for for about six weeks or so so the 21st of july this one's quite interesting one i've got a few on this um i i I went through the whole list that was on um on this day.com and uh, thank you again to those guys for having such a great resource and uh, um, putting it out there and giving me you know the means of, of finding these facts out for you so um, firstly 1853 on this date Central Park in New York was created um, 1866 a little bit more um, apt I suppose for what's going on at the moment there was a cholera epidemic which killed hundreds in London um 1969 at 2:56 and 15 seconds a.m. um london time neil armstrong became the first person to step on the moon that's a pretty big 
uh, moment in history to share this date with. And then more into popular culture, these were really just for, for me. Um, I find these quite interesting. So 1987 on this date, Guns N' Roses' debut album Appetite for Destruction was released and it became the uh, best-selling debut album of all time with more than 30 million copies sold. I didn't realise that. But it's such a good album. And to finish off, obviously, on a literary um, topic, anniversary, I suppose. So on this date in 2007... Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, the final book in the series by J.K. Rowling, is published worldwide. 11 million copies sold in 24 hours. That is pretty impressive. That's the dream right there. So with that in mind, what better way to sign off? So you got six weeks. Let's see if we can get a necessary end at 11 million copies sold over the summer. <laughs> and... Uh, if so, it gives me more to talk about when I come back. So thank you so much again. Thank you to the guests that have been on this uh, this season. I will be back in September with season two. So have a great summer. Be safe. Stay sane. And um, I will speak to you then. Oh, <laughs> my